Our world is in search of hope, the hope that things could be better, the hope that this isn't all there is. But for many, sooner or later, that hope turns to cynicism. The English novelist Charlotte Bronte once said that hope has proved a strange traitor. What did she mean by that? Well, there were three Bronte sisters. When Charlotte wrote those words, one of the three was dead, the other lay dying. And she, the one who was going to be left all alone, felt that hope was a traitor that had promised so much, but had let her down. Or to quote a Scottish writer, Robert Louis Stevenson, he once wrote of how his ambitious hopes had failed. His heart, he said, had been burned out by the lust of this world's approbation. In other words, his longing to know the approval of others had been disappointed. And he wrote to a friend and said that if it wasn't for something inside him stopping him, perhaps his Presbyterian upbringing, he would have poisoned himself or drunk himself to death as other uh, contemporary writers had done. And perhaps you can identify with some of those sentiments. Uh, perhaps hope has proved a traitor for you as well. As it has become clear that the thing that you set your heart on isn't going to happen. And the danger of hope turning to cynicism or despair increases with old age or with age. If it becomes clear that our vision of life... Uh, of what we thought life would be like if it becomes clear that that isn't going to happen then uh, we can become cynical when we're young we, we still think there's time to achieve the things that we wanted to achieve but if there is a growing realization that that isn't going to happen it can lead to despair one of the oldest historical accounts we have is uh, written by a man called job it's recorded in the Bible and at one point Job says my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and come to their end without hope. Maybe that's you this morning. Uh, the years are going by and you are without hope. For others perhaps you got the thing that you've always wanted but it blew up in your face or it slipped through your fingers like dust. The buzz was short and the satisfaction temporary. And it's left you empty, hurt and confused. Either way, what's often said about following a football team can be applied more widely. It's the hope that kills you. It's the hope that kills you. We, we don't get what we hope for or we, we do get it and it disappoints us and yet we still keep on hoping. We still hope. Hope may be replaced by cynicism in the end but to have that hope to begin with is part of what it is to be human. Uh, one psychiatrist said, uh, I think they were a Christian as well, said there is a deep desire within our hearts. We are born with it. It is never completely satisfied and it never dies. In other words, we are hardwired for hope. We are hardwired for hope. 
And the title of this morning's sermon assumes that. The title isn't, Is There Such a Thing as Hope? But Where Can I Find It? I don't need to convince anyone this morning to start hoping for the first time. There's no one here who has never hoped for anything. Now, I might need to convince you to start hoping again, uh, because you might have given up on hope. But if it is true that we have been hardwired for hope, then our problem isn't that we hope. Our problem is that we put our hope in the wrong things, that we put our hope in things that can't satisfy. Two weeks ago, the England women's football team came up just short of winning the World Cup. But what if they had won it? Would that have given them everything they hoped for? Well, here's an English sports star who did reach the top. Here's what Johnny Wilkinson said after winning the Rugby World Cup with England in 2003. You might remember that he was the one who scored the winning drop goal against Australia in the last minute of extra time. It couldn't get any more dramatic. He couldn't have been any more of a hero. Here's what he said later. He said, I had already begun to feel the elation slipping away from me during the lap of honour around the field. I couldn't believe that all the effort was losing its worth so soon. This was something I had fantasised about achieving since I was a child. I just achieved my greatest ambition and it felt a bit empty. For many of us it may be the hope that, that kills us. But actually getting what you've hoped for might be worse because it just leaves you asking, is this it? Some people are miserable but they think, well, if only I I can achieve what I'm aiming for, then I'll be happy. Happiness is is a possibility. I just need to, to achieve this thing. But others are miserable because they did achieve what they'd always wanted. But it didn't make them happy. It didn't deliver what it promised. And so our instinct to hope is not wrong. We just need to make sure our hope is in the right thing. And the Bible has a lot to say about hope. In fact, the Bible describes God as the God of hope. As we read earlier. It's another of those names of God that we've been looking at lately. In Romans 15, 13, it was the prayer of the Apostle Paul to those he was writing to. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. It was his prayer that through knowing the God of hope, that those Christians might abound in hope. And that is God's desire for each and every one of us this morning and for our whole community around us. That they might abound in hope through coming to know the God of hope. That people who have long since given up hoping might abound in hope. Now I realise that our culture predisposes us to reject the Bible and to say that, that any hope that Christianity might give us is just a pipe dream. But let me ask you this, if the material universe is all that there is, where does this idea of hope even come from? If this is all there is, where do we get the idea of hope? To hope is to think that things are not as they should be. 
It's to look at our lives. It's to look at the world around us and say something is broken here. Something is not right. And the hope is to have the expectation that things will get better. That fits perfectly with a Christian way of looking at the world. Because a Christian assessment of both us and the world we're in is that neither we or the world were created to be like this. The Christian take on the world is that something has gone badly wrong. And that's why we hope. Because deep down we know that things shouldn't be like this. And in fact God has promised that it won't be like this forever. That one day all wrong will be put right. But if you swap that out for a purposeless universe, who is to say that things are meant to get any better than they are now? In fact, who could even talk about meaning? To talk about meaning would be meaningless. And so it's no surprise to see those walking away from Christianity losing hope. Because what reason do they have left to hope that things will improve? I've quoted two famous novelists already. Here's a third for good measure. It's from the most recent biography of Thomas Hardy. Uh, His biographer is trying to put her finger on where his dark view of life came from. And here's part of her conclusion. She says, in a sense, he never got beyond his own loss of Christian belief, which removed hope. I thought that was a fascinating insight from a non-Christian biographer writing about someone who had left the Christian faith. And she says his loss of Christian belief removed hope. And perhaps you know someone like that. They've walked away from the Christian faith. They've deconstructed and the hope has gone out of their lives. Now stopping hoping for something isn't always a bad thing. If what we were hoping in was a false hope, and the Bible certainly teaches that false hope is possible, the war horse is a false hope for salvation, Psalm 33. Our stuff can't save us, it is a false hope for salvation. Uh, Just buying the next thing that will make us happy, that's a false hope for salvation. One of the biggest false hopes today among church-going people is that those who are not born again uh, hope that they'll get to heaven, but that that is a false hope. Uh, So yes, there's such a thing as a false hope if you're hoping that that being a member of this church, uh, going to church will, will save you. That's a false hope. But to reject the true Christian hope is to reject the only solid basis for hope in the universe. To reject the the true hope of the Bible is to reject the only solid basis for hope in the universe. And so it's the Christian hope that we want to look at specifically now. Someone has said that we have within us a divine discontent. That is a discontent about the state of the world as it now is. Because God has implanted within us a sense that we were made for more than this. As the book of Ecclesiastes puts it, God has placed eternity in man's heart. And again, that simply means, as my barber said to me the other week, surely there has to be more to life than this. 
And so if we really do have a sense of divine discontent placed in our hearts by God, then he is going to be the only one who can satisfy it. And so if you're not yet a Christian, are you willing to consider that possibility this morning? That the sense of hope, longing, desire that you have can only be fulfilled by the one who put it there in the first place, who is God himself. That as C.S. Lewis once so eloquently put it, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Are we raising our children to teach them to find satisfaction in this world or are we teaching them that they were made for another world? So that is the hope that we're thinking about this morning. And as we come to consider the Christian hope, it's important to realise that the way our world speaks about hope and the way the Bible talks about hope are different. And if we miss that, we'll go badly wrong. Uh, The difference is this. Uh, This isn't original to me, but but I I thought it was really helpful. Uh, The way we normally talk about hope is to express certainty as to time, but uncertainty as to outcome. For example, I might say, I hope Stranraer win on Saturday. We're certain about when the event will take place. It's on Saturday, but we're uncertain as to the outcome. But Christianity, on the other hand, expresses uncertainty as to time, but certainty as to the outcome. We know what's going to happen. We just don't know when it's going to happen. For example, the Apostle Paul said at one point that he stood on trial because of his hope in the promise made by God to our fathers. That's Acts 26. So when Paul says about his hope in God's promises, does he mean, I really hope God's promises come to pass, but I'm not sure? No. He means he's certain that the promises will come about, but he's not sure when. Paul's trust in the promises was certain, but he didn't know when they would be fulfilled. And in the meantime, his life was one of hope. He says elsewhere, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Why do we wait for it with patience? Because we don't know when it's going to come about. We're waiting for something certain, but we don't know when it's coming. And so one of the reasons that God gives the Holy Spirit to dwell in Christians is, as Romans 15 puts it, by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. To abound in hope is to be filled with certainty. And what is it the hope of? Well, in the words of Colossians chapter 1, it is the hope laid up for us in heaven, the hope of glory. Our hope is heaven itself, life forever with God in the true paradise. All that this world was meant to be at the beginning, but even better. A new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of Lord of the Rings, put it like this, writing a letter to his son during the Second World War. There is a place called heaven where the good here unfinished is completed and where the stories unwritten 
and the hopes unfulfilled are continued. For the unbeliever to die with unfulfilled hopes, that is a, a terrible thing because those hopes will never be fulfilled. But for the believer to die with unfulfilled hopes, there is still time for those hopes to be fulfilled. And this hope was announced to the human race almost as soon as we fell into sin. Though Christians don't always do a good job of getting across what this hope is, it's actually far bigger than you may have realised. It's not just the salvation of our souls, amazing as that is. It's not even just the redemption of our bodies as well, wonderful as that will be. But it is the restoration of the whole world. God's vision is bigger than ours often is. Romans chapter 8 uh, tells us that the creation has been subject to futility, but it's been done so in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. It goes on to say that we ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit, uh, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Our souls will be cleansed from sin. Our bodies will be healed from pain. And the creation itself will be restored to the way it was meant to be. It's hard to miss the, the focus on our planet at the moment. We might say the obsession uh, with all the talk of climate change. But the best most people can hope for is that we'll be able to limit the damage that we do to the planet. And that's often accompanied by some sort of anxiety. Uh, because even if you keep a close eye on your environmental impact, you can't even make your neighbour recycle. Uh, never mind China or America. But the Bible says that the world itself is going to be restored. So how can you have this hope of glory? Is it just by coming along to church, getting involved, getting baptised even? No. As we thought earlier, to, to have hope is to make an assessment of how things are now and to say something isn't right. It's to say I was made for something more than this. And so before the good news can be ours, we must face up to the bad news. Though in a sense even the bad news is good news because it tells us what's wrong with the world rather than leaving us in the dark. The fact that we hope at all is because we have a, have a sense that things could be better, that things should be better. And God doesn't leave us in the dark as to why. He doesn't leave us trying to guess what the problem is. Many people today are trying to guess what the problem is because they've shut their Bibles, they're ignoring what God says, and so they're trying to guess why is the world in the state that it's in. And they say, yes, the problem is lack of education, or, or the problem is deprivation, or the problem is economic inequality. Whereas God tells us that the real problem is human rebellion against him. We're made in God's image, we're made to know him, but we've ignored him and we've done the opposite of what he said. And we wonder why we're not happy. 
we wonder why we're not happy. And so God is going to restore this world, but he tells us that nothing unclean will ever enter it. And so for us to have a place in this new creation, our sin has to be dealt with. And that is why Jesus came. As someone once said, God sent Jesus in order that he could end evil without ending us. God sent Jesus in order that he could end evil without ending us. Compared to other people, most of us live decent lives. Yes, we do things we're ashamed of. Yes, we do things that we wouldn't want to be publicly displayed. Uh, Yet times, we even do the same things that we condemn others for. But compared to other people, we're not that bad. But the problem isn't who... The problem is who we're comparing ourselves to because we were made in the image of God, which isn't a physical thing because God doesn't have a body. So what are people in the image of God meant to look like? Well, Jesus Christ is described as the image of the invisible God. If we compare ourselves to anyone, we're to compare ourselves to Jesus. God says, be holy as I am holy. That's the standard. Maybe you say, well, that's, that's impossible. How can anyone be perfect? And yet it wasn't at the beginning. In the beginning, God created man with the ability to perfectly keep his law. But our first parents fell and we fell with them. Maybe you say, that's not fair. And yet it's reality. And in fact, if we are to be saved by the perfect life and substitutionary death of someone else, which is what the cross is all about, if we are to accept the good that someone else has done in our place as our representative, we must first acknowledge how the sin that our first parents committed affects us. And yet it is also the case that each and every one of us have committed enough sins of our own that a holy God would condemn us forever. In short, we can quibble over the bad news or we can accept the good news. And we do that by confessing our sin and receiving the new life that Jesus offers. Hope in the Lord, he calls us to, for with him is plentiful redemption. So that's the Christian hope. The hope that one day everything will be made right. And we will be able to enjoy it, not because we deserve to, but because our sin has been dealt with. And if this hope really is ours, it will affect how we live now. Jesus once told a story about a man who finds hidden treasure in a field. Uh, The boys and girls in our house like stories about hidden treasure. And this man found some hidden treasure. But there was a problem The problem was that he didn't own the field that the treasure was in. He was just working there. So what did he do? Well, he sold everything that he had so that he could buy the field. People around him probably thought he was mad. But he knew the treasure was there. And he knew that that treasure was worth giving up everything for. And if Jesus really is our treasure, then we'll go all out for him. And in fact, hope that doesn't affect how we live now. 
hope that doesn't lead to us loving God and loving our fellow Christians and loving our neighbours. That is not true Christian hope. Hope in the Bible is often tied together with faith and love. You could think of them as triplets nearly. Uh, The most famous reference to, to all three of them comes at the end of 1 Corinthians 13 where Paul says, So now faith, hope and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So how do the three work together? Well, at the beginning of the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul says that faith in Christ Jesus, because of the hope laid up for us in heaven, what will that lead to? It will lead to us loving other believers here and now. He says, we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope that's laid up for you in heaven. And so both in that verse and throughout the Bible, one of the marks that we truly have this hope is that we love the people of God. Jesus himself said, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. How tragic it is that many church-going people would say that they have this hope, but you look at their lives and you look in vain for evidence of practical love shown to their fellow believers. Jesus' disciple Peter, writing a letter to some Christians, could say, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. That hope does give us wonderful confidence for the future. But if that hope is truly ours, it will transform how we live here and now. It is a living hope. It will transform our relationships. So do you have this hope? How you live here and now, it can't give you this hope. But if you truly have this hope, then you will live very differently than you otherwise would have. Amen. Well, let's close by singing about this hope from Psalm 130, Psalm 130b, which is found in page 327. Psalm 130b, page 327. Hope is mentioned twice in this psalm. We have it in verse 3. I wait for God, my soul doth wait, my hope is in his word. And then in verse 4, that Israel, hope in the Lord. Of course, when we sing about Israel, we're singing about the church. And here is the call of God to set our hope not on other things, but on God himself. And why do we set our hope on him? Well, because, verse 5, plenteous redemption is ever found with him. And he will redeem us from all our iniquities if we come to him by faith in Jesus Christ. So Psalm 130b, the whole psalm, we stand to sing praise. <laughs>